When was the last time you changed your mind on some moral question or some political question? Um, and then your actions changed after that. And those actions cost you something. Hello, everybody. Howdy. Welcome to At Home with Linda and Drew Scott. If you haven't heard, this is a show where we chat with artists, experts, dreamers, and doers about what makes us feel most at home. And, oh, I did it again. I thought I would have an answer on what would make me feel most at home. Never has it. She never has it. Never, ever have it. And I also changed my mind at like the last second. I think you're I was going to say apple cider. Your warm hugs makes me feel at home. Oh, I said it that way because I was thinking about Charlie's hugs. Uh, Yeah, our nephew's hugs. (laughs) He gives Linda some really great hugs. This is at home. All right. This is the kickoff to the holiday season. Woohoo. Our Christmas tree is already up. Jingle the bells. It's been up for about a month. Yeah, almost. Almost uh, a month. This is the Linda way. You know, I love Christmas. I don't typically get the tree up this quick, but we did it. The one thing we are going to be working on starting next week will be a holiday song that we can play on the guitar and ukulele. Oh, this is the first I've heard of yeah, this. this. I'm is, so excited. This is my gift no, am, to you. I am excited. My but... gift to make you practice. <laughs> no, that that is a good way. It is fun though. It gets me in the spirit. Yeah, Drew's, Drew's wiggling his shoulders, wiggling shoulders, getting in the spirit. We used to do it with my dad growing up. Well, it was my mom and dad. And so Jonathan and I would both sing. My dad would also sing. And then my mom would do the harmony. Sometimes Jonathan would She's do the harmony so too. She's so good at that. Yeah, it was pretty good. And then my dad and I would play guitar. That. I don't know. Here, I'll harmonize your having... words. Well, well happy, happy holiday season. I was just a different octave, but I What's wasn't What's everybody excited, excited about? about? What's everybody excited about? (laughs) We're weirdos. Um, But anyway, yeah, it is. It is pretty fun. And I've been for the last three weeks, two weeks in the car. I play Christmas songs as I'm driving. Uh, Uh, No, you've been doing that for since July. Since July. Yes. (laughs) Well, whatever. You know, I I like these jolly sort of things. I actually had a dream last night about Santa. Something to yeah, something to do with the North Pole. And but I did see I think because I watched something and it showed Santa when he was young like a commercial yesterday or something. Oh yeah, and no, it was the billboard, the, the Rudolph Santa. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I had a dream like that where Santa had a darker beard, not white. And uh, anyway, yeah. So it got me in the Christmas spirit. So my it was dreams too. Like young Santa. He was, or? you know, young. He still looked like Santa, just not a white beard. And uh, that's cool. With that in mind, speaking of Santa, let's talk about gifts because Ooh. it's more than just about gifts. Yeah, and we agreed no gifts this year. Yeah. Right? Exactly. No gifts. Are we going to give gifts to the nieces and nephews, though? I think so. Yes, because we went to um, an awesome birthday party and we had we got some like prizes there. So we're just going to re gift. Yeah, but that's what they were that was for. the whole plan. We admitted that to everybody as yeah. well because they're amazing gifts and they're not for us. They're going to be for nieces and nephews. But I may keep one. Are thing. we? So here's the thing Do you feel. Because the kids do love gifts. Do you feel if we get to the point where we don't give gifts, then we're just like the curmudgeon-y old uncle and aunt? No, not at all. But would they, if our, if our gift is just an experience of something yeah. with them, but I don't think kids would really appreciate that. Well, as much. they're at an age now where they enjoy experiences. I think when you're like two, you, you don't care. Well, I think that's so young, you don't really care. But yeah. I, I feel like the kids are five and eight. I kind of are six and eight. 
I think that they're going to be like, experience, okay, great. Now where's my gift? Where's my physical no. box that I can unwrap? I they would so. love to go somewhere. Anybody else out there, like, like, what do you think with, with kids? If you decided to stop putting gifts under the Christmas tree and you just took them somewhere, you did something together and that was the gift, would the kids be happy? I'm very curious to what other families would think. They're not going to be not happy. Are you kidding? Okay. I, I'm not How a- many, they're going to get so many gifts. From other people. They're not even going to know we didn't give them anything. (laughs) So your trick is everybody else is super loving and giving gifts and they'll just forget that we didn't. But you're saying we're not loving because we don't give gifts. No, no, no. In their mind's eye. In their young mind's eye. Well, they're just going to have to learn. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe this is the harsh truth of how we can teach them. Does this really, really make us sound terrible? No. It, it, the, the messaging is good though. What we want is it's less about receiving and it's more about giving. I would rather... Actually, this is something... We have to get on, like now, find a place to volunteer with everyone. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think they would find that really fun. The kids? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that would be great. I mean, even whether it's like, what, picking up on the beach garbage and stuff or mm-hmm. or something like the food bank? Yeah. So we agreed for for one another, for you and me. We're not doing gifts. Yes, we're not. And if you want to do a gift, hint it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. It has to be either handmade or... An experience. Or both. Okay, let's talk about like holiday plans. Are you excited? Am I excited? I know you're excited. Family's going to be here. We're going to, yeah, finally get to see some of the family we haven't seen in a little while. Okay, but does that make you anxious at all? Because we're not completely out of the clear yet. Like I, I'm a little nervous with having people visiting. Of course, I, I want to see everyone. Yeah. But I'm... I want to have like strict rules for everyone. Yeah, this is the thing. I mean, I I still feel, you know, you and I are very cautious. You know, we have our COVID protocols. So I feel that we are, you know, everyone's going to test and we're going to also make sure that we're keeping our distances in so many ways as much as possible. And I feel good. I think that it's as long as we're being safe and we're all, we're all vaccinated, we're doing our thing. Mm. But... I'm just really excited to see fam that I haven't seen in a while. So that'd be yeah, great. Yeah, I am too. Like there, you know, comes a point where we need to see family mm-hmm. to maintain our sanity. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, there's also like, we also need our own time to maintain our sanity. Yeah. So you and I have to give ourselves a couple of times where we just escape the family rush yeah. and just have a you and me time. Yeah. So you can't um, call me a curmudgeon if I'm, you know, just... Spending time alone. No, uh, no, it's fine. I'll call you a hermit. I like Kermit. Mm. You are a hermit, Linda. <laughs> uh, well, the holidays is a time as well when we could all use a little more kindness. All give show a little a, more kindness. Give a little more kindness. Show a little more empathy towards others because it's a hustle and the bustle of the holidays. Everybody gets a little worked up and anxious. And it can be a really hard time for a lot of people as it well. It can. Yeah, it can be an emotional time for a lot of people. Yeah. And I think this is why it's really great that we're speaking with Henry James Garrett today. Oh. He is an amazing illustrator and cartoonist. He's an author and a screenwriter. And his book... It's called This Book Will Make You Kinder, an empathy handbook. And as we said, it's insightful and clever. And in it, he draws animals and objects talking to one another, expressing ideas about wellness, social justice, equality, LGBTQ identity, and so much more. I mean, he uses those heartwarming, humorous illustrations combined with his background in philosophy to really explore the sources and limitations of human empathy. Anyway, I think he is an amazing person. Mm-hmm. His book is awesome. And I really look forward to the screenwriting he's he's doing. I really look yeah. forward to watching one of these films one day. 
He's brilliant and he's kind and... This is Henry James Garrett. Okay, if ADT wasn't professional enough, now ADT installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. I mean, what are they going to do next? They're, they're going to start a country singing career. I would listen to a country band named ADT. Also, I like to know what's happening at our front door from virtually anywhere with my Google Nest doorbell. Just saying. Your Google Nest doorbell? I said our. He said my. Everybody check that. Yeah. All right. Well, I like to control my ADT smart devices, like my lights, my locks. (laughs) My security system with Google Nest speakers and displays. And I like to say, hey, Google, to get started. Listen, I said ours. I'm all about ours, not mine. Help protect what matters most with all this, plus 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help make your home smarter and safer. This has definitely been a nice part of, you know, really changing our, our lives here. in our home. Yeah, so thank you for your book. Anybody <laughs> listening, by the way, if you have not read This Book Will Make You Kinder, you need to, just looking at the book makes me smile. <laughs> yeah. Here's my one question, though. How come you decided to go with the graphic of that dog instead of your puppy? Yeah, good question. Um, I actually find my dog particularly hard to draw, which is unusual. Um, She's kind of got, like, very fuzzy (laughs) hair. I also think I wanted a dog that looked scary. Do you know what Mm. I mean? Like, uh, lots of people are scared of, like, pit bull, Staffordshire-type breeds. Um, I quite liked the idea of having a cute version of one of those. And, mm. and you know, I, I don't know, for me, thematically, that's connected to the book. Do you know Definitely. So, uh, yeah. Absolutely. God, there was some I, thought that went I into it. <laughs> I, I love that because like every single stroke is so thoughtful. Yeah. You know, like not it's not just like, oh, it's, you know, Billy was hard to draw. So I just, you know, put this one that yeah. had like a little column a, on. a little column <laughs> <laughs> Well, we even have, we have uh, our friend Jess, her sister has a pit bull which is yeah. the sweetest dog in the world, the cutest dog. So I know what you mean. A lot of people are afraid of pit bulls. In, in fact, in certain states around the U.S., um, if a pit bull is to bite somebody, they're put down immediately. Mm. Whereas if another dog bites somebody, they're not put down. We have some some banned breeds here. And, you know, it's not based on the, the science and the data, Um on the dangers of those breeds it's a lot to do with you know classist attitudes to do with who has traditionally had those dogs um yeah so it, it is a really interesting um thing that associations we bring to certain breeds because some of the most scary looking dogs so to speak mm-hmm. are some are often the gentlest right like yeah. we have mm-hmm. a lot of staffies here and staffies as a breed are just so so loving and they just want mm-hmm. to be softies <laughs> so here's a question, you know, re- relating to the book about that. Do you find being a dog person, because what I find, you know, growing up, we had a yellow lab and she was the most unconditionally loving dog ever. Like she was just always giving you that that look and that smile and she just wanted to be your best friend. Do you do you find a part of why you are such a soft, kind person is because of that interaction you've had with with your pup or other dogs that growing up? 
Well, first of all, I'm not sure how, like, I don't, I didn't write the book because I'm like a particularly kind person. Like, I hope I am and I, and I try to be and, and so on. But like, it's not like the book is written about kindness because I'm, you know, some kindness genius or anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely. I learned so much from dogs and I've had Billy since I was 15. I was really poorly at the time. I missed a year of school. Um, when I was 15 and I'd been begging for a dog for years before that and my parents sort of gave in at that point and were like oh you know Henry needs some some company and something good (laughs) in his life and Billy has been yeah it's the dependability it's the um a dog is just you know so doesn't care about the things that people care about that that make them distrustful or unkind to other people sorry i'm rambling but i was saying the other day that i draw animals right a lot of the time and i use them to make the political points that i want to make and i don't draw animals because i think that animals are always you know incredibly kind you know uh, or that the animal world is perfect by any means do you know i mean that's not the connection i'm drawing but i am often making the point that they couldn't have developed the very complex forms of cruelty that human minds are capable of. So I think mm. there's a distinction there that, that they couldn't, a dog could never get its head around, you know, systemic racism. They're not evolved the same way that we are. Mm. And a part of that evolution, sadly, brings about some of, like you said, systemic racism or or different elements that are a part of a, an evolved society. Yeah, animals are often surprising us with their intelligence. Animals aren't very good at self-deception. Um, and I think our minds are really good at self-deception. So if we want to believe something because it serves us, I think mm-hmm. we're very good at coming up with a reason to believe it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where a lot of human cruelty comes from, is from hiding from uncomfortable truths or mm. um, inventing whole ideological systems of belief that allow us to perpetrate cruelty that we otherwise wouldn't be able to. Yeah, there's just something so pure about animals. You know, they they just are. Mm. And yeah, they, they act out of instinct. And I guess that's why like dogs feel so much of us because like they, they are just so intuitive that way. They're not questioning There's our- an immediacy. Yeah. So digging in a little more with what, what you were saying there, because it's, it's so interesting to me, a lot of, uh, a lot of cruelty that, that is out there, really, there are certain roots of insecurity in someone, or it, it's sort of like creating this false narrative and then trying to find ways to justify it to make it feel like they're doing something right. They're not being cruel. They're doing what was justified. Can you dig in a little bit more from, for writing the book and, and, uh, what your background was to sort of get to that point, was there something that triggered you in your life that made you say, okay, we need to dig in deeper here and figure out why the world is how it is and how it can be a kinder place? Absolutely. So as I say in the book, I was a very anxious kid and I continue to be a very anxious adult. And a lot of my anxiety was around subtle cruelties and sometimes my own subtle cruelties. But you know, when you spot two people talking and you're watching almost from the outside and you realise that one of them has said something that's hurt the other one, but neither of them communicate it to the other. Mm. There's just something about that cringe moment of like, oh, you know, and it never comes out and one of the person's just quietly hurting. I'm sure everyone finds that a painful thing to behold, but for me, mm. that just makes me like seize up with like, oh, someone's got to say something and I'm not always very good at 
at saying something. So it started off with with that. And then I went into philosophy and moral philosophy in particular, because I thought that's where you might go to try and make the world a kinder place. And I think it's really important for everyone. If I could give one question to the audience, it would be, when was the last time you changed your mind on something moral, something, some moral question or some political question, um, and then your actions changed after that, and those actions cost you something? Because that's when we really know we've changed our mind, right? Mm -hmm. And for me, when that's occurred, what's happened is someone's explained something to me about their experience, and I've, you know, come to see something I hadn't seen before, some connection between their experience and my actions. And then my empathy has kicked in. Mm -hmm. And so that's the thesis for the book, right? Is Mm. that to act morally is to act as we would if we had full information and we could imagine all the consequences of our actions and we were acting only on the basis of our empathetic motivation after that. And so that's sort of where I arrived at. And then I was like, how can I write that in a way that people will read it and it won't sound like arcane Mm -hmm. Moral philosophy or metaphysics. <laughs> well, no, honestly, I mean, it, that's a big thing is there's so much information there that's trying to reach through to people that could put up a stubborn wall about wanting to think of how to change themselves. Who's to tell me I should change kind of mm. a feeling. And I think you did it in such an eloquent way that really does. You use a bit of humor, you use visual interest, and you also use words that are not threatening. And I think, you know, after reading what you've written here too, it's it's helped me stop and think a little bit more before I react to something and try and understand, you know, even driving in traffic. My hands are glistening from sweat just thinking about like Drew speaking up, you know, in an uncomfortable yeah. situation because I am totally not that person. I will feel it. But like, I I am scared to speak up. And like, even though I want to, like I get very nervous about it. This book and what you do, I think is just, it just encompasses proof that like how we say things matter and it's just so powerful because like you've used art to to bridge differences rather than um instigate defensiveness one thing i I really liked too that you wrote was um the idea that if you think about it when we see when we're not seeing eye to eye with somebody who's a stranger you know a lot of times there can be this this conflict but if we had more empathy for strangers the way we do for family, and why is it we have family and friends, why do we have more empathy? Because we know them. We know them more. And so to find a way to get to know other people or consider other people more will help us grow our empathy. Um, do you have cer- uh, certain stories from your past that that kind of gave you that idea or to dig in to say, well, hey, maybe this is something that could help us all out there? Just on, on Linda's point, I did just want to say that like, I'm sure there are, there are lots of reasons why it might be easier for like Drew and I to to speak out in in certain situations, and and I'm sure that there's there's lots more going on there. And I, like I've been working on it, and and as you as you say, Drew, speaking out in in a way that that aims at the the best outcome. I think my experiences. So people listening who haven't read the book might not know that this is. A political book and it's a book about forms of kindness that we would consider political stances and so for me one of the areas in which I think I've become a best listener was maybe first and foremost through through gender um, and, and lots of my cartoons are, are about feminism and I think I reached that point through from women um, and people of other marginalized genders who have who have explained things to me and yeah. I'm 
awfully proud of my partner when she says, nah, I'm not, I'm not doing the teaching today. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. that I've created a, a paradox. But I think the, the answer to that paradox is that the information and the answers are already out there. Yeah, for sure. There's a certain point in which, yes, our curiosity and like willingness to learn is valid, but also we have so many resources nowadays where we can do our own homework first. Mm. So that is the least we can do. Yeah, um, that's sort of a base level of respect, isn't it? Arriving, mm-hmm. having, yeah. you know, no, not presuming that you're inventing the the conversation you're having from scratch, right? Yeah, yeah. Like you you will have just arrived there and that's okay if it's, you know, later than however long the conversation has been going on. But yeah, the least we can do is, is show up with, with our homework done so that we can, you know, join join the conversation where it is now. Yeah, Emmanuel Acho. He, he has a book, Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. And I really love how he eloquently speaks to what is important to him and the important messaging to have, but he doesn't attack people who are making the effort or he doesn't attack people who have a differing opinion. He tries to create that bridge of communication to help them understand. I know we see very differently here. It's great if you're making an effort. If you're not making an effort, maybe we can find a way to, to educate you in, in a way that, that can help you understand where we're coming from. And so, again, it just comes down to, I think, how the message is communicated to help continue to encourage people. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm going to slight, maybe I'm slightly disagreeing with you. I, I think that, I think we've got to be really careful about what we ask of the people delivering the message. And we, and we can't say, we can never say like, oh, you're teaching me in the wrong way. And I prefer it if you, you know, if you didn't snap at me when I get it wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably more on us to learn to deal with being slapped at sometimes. And and, I, and I'd love to li- live in a world where no one snapped at anyone for getting it wrong, by all mm. means. Like, I definitely think that would be the preferable world. And I love teachers like that, who, who you're describing. Um, and I, I'm really glad that that sort of teacher exists. But there's also something incredible about the no-nonsense teachers who just tell you off, you know? ADT now professionally installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. Help protect what matters most with 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. You said that very professionally. I try. (laughs) Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help you make your home smarter and safer. Can we go into... Like you, you've talked about you you being an anxious child and, and an mm. adult, but also like you, the way you communicate, it's obvious that you have like a lot of, you give yourself a lot of time for introspection and reflection. Were your parents a big influence in the way you think and just like the way you have that discourse within yourself? Yeah, um, my parents, definitely a big influence. My dad would ask us very difficult physics questions at the dinner table as as children um and sometimes those would verge on the philosophical and we all ended up doing philosophy in, in one shape or form <laughs> and my brothers so i think that was, as a starting point encouraged a lot of deep thinking and i think that thinking deeply on moral questions is necessary and will you know actually change one's actions moving forward I'm trying to think of how to talk about how my parents they've been very supportive um and so with mental health 
I know that not everyone has the experience that I've had where when I've needed to drastically change my life, like dropping out of a philosophy PhD because of my anxiety, I've been met with belief in that being something necessary. And that's probably one of the greatest gifts that that my parents gave me was taking my anxiety seriously, which I know, you know, not not everyone gets so lucky. Mm -hmm. When you were a kid and and you had your dad having his little, you know, philosophy sessions or with you and whatnot, what at that time, was it just fun or was it like, oh, there's dad doing his thing again? (laughs) A little bit of both for sure. It was, I I think I always enjoyed the philosophy. Sometimes the the physics was, we're on a long car car ride, Henry. I want you to do a back of the envelope calculation on how much does the air in a telephone box weigh. Still can't tell you the answer. Um, But we had some, some guesstimates. But when it was philosophy, that was a mixed bag as well. I always enjoyed it. But then I would lie awake afterwards thinking, how do I know that anyone else exists? Um, Mm. And worrying about that. I think I was naturally an overthinker. I mean, it's hard to know like nature versus nurture, right? But I think I was predisposed to be um, an overthinker. I think I would like to be more of a doer, as you say, Drew. But isn't it great that we meet people who, you know, um, balance us out, as you say? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, totally. Uh, We were talking with our therapist, we're talking about that. One or two days ago, about how that is just—it's sort of a natural innate thing. You usually find somebody who <laughs> balances you up because uh, even within, actually, we had another guest on Betty Ann Hagee, and uh, she says the same thing. She talks all about within all of us is masculine and feminine energy. You know, she doesn't like the label of masculine and feminine because we all have both, and find that balance within you. But sometimes you don't have an exact balance within you. You find it in your partner, and that's what balances you out. And and to embrace that, mm-hmm. but, I am. Um, I really like how you two talk about your your love and the relationship. It's it's really lovely. Um, mm. But yeah, my partner is a real doer, and she is excellent at being like, "All right, Henry. Well, if you say you want this, then you have to do this on the way." Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I I also love how you you talk about your partner Kitty as mm. well, and how she has complimented your style. And it's funny because when you say she's a doer, that is exactly true. Because I can sit and ponder all day and go in circles and at the end of the day go like oh, what what am I doing here yeah. <laughs> and then I come in call me like, kitty what is I life? come in yeah. and I get, I get her you're a nice done. little mirror to us <laughs> yeah 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 um, I, I just wanted to go, get a little more specific for, for those who have not yet read the book um, you talk about kindness and morality can you break it down for our listeners sure well there was a version of this book um, an old title was um this book will make you morally better. (laughs) And (laughs) the brain trust behind the book, which was my partner Kitty and the editor, was in making the book more accessible. And for whatever reason, the sort of language of morality, this is morally right, that is morally wrong, isn't very fashionable. Um, And I think there are good reasons for that. I think it can sound a lot like one person telling another person what to do. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think we're all a bit careful with that. But I also think when we don't use moral language, we have a tendency to use sort of weasel words where we, um, we're we trying to condemn an action as morally wrong. But we, you know, maybe say like, ooh, that's a bit problematic. or And we're basically saying it, but we're not committing to it. So this book will make you kinder. is really a book about all of morality. Because as I suggest in the book, 
to say something is morally right is to say that it's a form of kindness that we can expect from someone else. And to say that something is morally wrong is to say that it's a form of cruelty that we shouldn't expect from someone else that is prohibited. But I don't think we can say we're being kind if people are being deported from our country in our name and we're not doing anything about it. So I'm drawing a spectrum and I'm, I'm saying lots of the things that we think about as everyday kindness are sort of at the minimum end of the spectrum and we should absolutely do them. And lots of people fail to do them on an everyday and, and I often do. But that also we should connect that with the more radical forms of kindness that have to do with our, our political responsibilities to one another. And, you know, mm. when we shop, we might be responsible for harm through what we buy. Yeah. And we don't see that as, you know, oh, it's the kind thing to do to have a less consumptive lifestyle. But it is, it's all it's all one thing. I guess that's mm-hmm. one of the arguments yeah. for the book is that there's there's no distinction. I think there's something useful psychologically in in drawing that that spectrum for people. Yeah, I, I, you know, when you look at it just within a house, for example, though, or at at work, everybody, you know, there, there are whole different levels of tasks and everybody mm-hmm. always gravitates towards the easy tasks. And the easy tasks, because you get a small hit of that feeling of accomplishment, mm-hmm. but it's a little harder to tackle the hard task. But once you do complete that, there's a whole new level of accomplishment that gives you that that rush of that feeling of really doing something great. And I think it's the same thing here is people will do small kindnesses, mm-hmm. but if you really do think of on that spectrum of those things that could really make bigger change and impact how you shop, where you shop, mm-hmm. is it ethically and, and sustainably sourced? I think that would be, be dr- dramatic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and as you're talking about all of those different things, you know, along the spectrum of kindness and morality in, in my head, I'm thinking like, how do you also deal with the burnout that one can feel um, with like, oh no, I have to do this or I'm a terrible person or like, I, I must do this or like, I don't understand the way this system works. Like that, that makes me ignorant and terrible. Like, how do you deal with the, uh, I, yeah, I guess the, the burnout of like trying to be better. I think we often arrive at, we could call it our, our moral work. Um, already exhausted from our from our daily life. So maybe that's where actually a lot of the burnout is located within what we do to survive, put a roof over our heads and, mm-hmm. you know, to look after our families and so on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, as someone who talks about anxiety as well, how do you find that affects uh, if somebody is trying to make certain uh, changes to be a kinder person? How, how does anxiety affect that that change? It's a good question as well. I do find that I can go either way. You know, I can go into a very shut down, like I can't cope with the world today type mode, or I can, um, or I can sometimes find my my panic about the world motivating. And I think the difference between those days is in choosing what I'm capable of, and in some ways not fighting my anxiety because certain things scare me and certain things within the things that scare me I really want to do and I have to find a way to do and yeah one thing that's really helped me also is 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 honesty um and you know I was quite proud of myself for saying to Drew when he first messaged me um oh I'm actually in a really anxious patch at the moment I don't Mm -hmm. think I'll be able to do this um and then you know when I was able to we 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 communicated again and Mm -hmm. I, I I was I'm pleased when I do that because 
it takes the power for me um, out of the anxiety a bit and it's mm-hmm. still there. But I've been honest. And so I I know that you'll expect uh, a little anxious being who, you know, goes a bit red when he's asked questions. Well, yeah. I think with that response that you had given when we first communicated it, I mean, I think something that is sort of the, the honesty is refreshing as well. I, I, mm. I don't know. I, I find every now and then, whether it's at work or in a relationship, um, and you know that there's something that's not being said. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes, you know, we're afraid to say certain things because it might create a, 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 a an issue or a rift or whatever it might be. Um, but at the end of the day, if you are just honest, I mean, a lot of times it ends up being a lot less harsh than you thought. We had no problem. I mean, obviously we want to support you and your, yeah. uh, when you're ready to talk. And I think it's the same in a lot of relationships. I find sometimes it's, you know, maybe a few people find it annoying, but I'm very honest all the time. And <laughs> uh, it, it, it can be good and maybe it can seem seemingly be bad. But at the end of the day, in the long term, I think it strengthens relationships. Yeah. yeah. And I just want to say when, uh, when you did message Drew back, like, and, and he told me what the response was a hundred percent. I was, I was not happy that you were in that spot. Like mm. we were, I was curious and, and worried and, you know, hoping that you were okay. And at the same time, I was like, wow, that, that is like so cool of him to, to say that. Um, and not just feel obligated to be like, yes, I I'll, I'll be there when you're not like mentally there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, it just was so cool because it gives me anyway uh, permission to also do that if you're not feeling up up to the you know the task on one day like you're not saying no forever like you're just saying we'll see like not right now and and that's totally okay and so I thank you for your honesty. I, I agree. I also think honesty begets honesty, and I think that's you know I think that's what you're pointing to. It makes it easier for the next person to say mm-hmm. um, and I also hope yeah that you know uh, you know maybe I'll message you in a couple of years time and you will be able to say the same thing yeah. or you'll be able to say the same thing to someone else and yeah it absolutely mm-hmm. works like that doesn't it we create little little cultures of of honesty and and, and in our relationships and stuff mm-hmm. and it it's so powerful because it's because it's sort of freeing. You know, mental health is so important. And the more and more we talk about this, the more and more we encourage that honesty, I, I feel the more it's it's making talking about mental health, it's making it more approachable and accepted. I think that's that's a really tough thing if, you know, for so many years, like when I was growing up, we didn't talk about how we, we felt mentally. It, it just, we just didn't. Mm-hmm. But now I find, I love it when I'm in a group of people and even people I don't really know. And someone says to me, yeah, I was, I was talking with my therapist about blah, blah, blah. Or somebody says I was having this, uh, this coaching session or I was doing some meditation. I just love it because there's so much more cognitive conversation now about uh, mental health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it has been a pleasure chatting with you. We like to wrap up our conversations with a speed round if you're ready sure and willing. I'm in a meal bowl. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What meal makes you feel at home and who cooked it? Um, at the moment, every Sunday we're having, and this is because I'm addicted to it, we're having this salad we make. We call it a salad. It's not a salad. Of, <laughs> um, crispy, salty tofu with fries, um, gherkins, <laughs> chilies, tomatoes, onions, lettuce. Um, and then like a burger sauce on top. It's sort of modeled up. Sorry, I'm, this is not a quick answer, but it's modeled after what I used to have when I wasn't vegan. 
which was donna meat and chips. So you have donna kebab ah. meat on top of chips with salad. Oh, it's the best thing in the world. I live for it. That's amazing. <laughs> What's your uniform at home? Pretty much what I'm wearing. This is a, a granny knitted jumper. Um, so that always makes me feel very loved and very homely. Aww. And then when it gets cold, I've got my slippers on, which I have on now. Nice. <laughs> what song reminds you of home? Because I'm on very much an Adele hype with um, yeah. with the new Adele out. 30. I'm going to say when we, when we Were Young by Adele, which is, I think, from the last nice. album. But yeah, that's a beauty. I love Adele. Oh, love Here, I'll tell you one of our songs. Um, if you ever heard of Sleepwalk by... I don't think so. Uh, Johnny and Santos? Johnny Santos, yeah. yeah. I'm gonna um, listen afterwards. Though. Yeah, Sequel. it's jo- yeah. There are no, there no Johnny lyrics. And Santo, yeah. John, Johnny oh, okay. and Santo, yeah. yeah. But it's oh, an okay. old, old song. So one last one. So what's your perfect Sunday morning at home? My perfect Sunday morning is pastries, um, really um, strong coffee, and <laughs> the rugby with Billy and Kitty, mm. um, and and we've put up our Christmas tree. Um, now so at the moment the Sundays are even better because when you have a Christmas tree in the background and you're watching rugby and you're eating a pastry and drinking a coffee then you're really living absolutely yeah. Here, here's actually what the last last question is this I'm going to no, compare I had, to Lynn. A, I had a last last question oh. <laughs> second last, second last. <laughs> so, how, how long will you guys leave your Christmas tree up how uh... so we just put ours up yesterday too so there's a, a, a superstition that if you take it down after the 6th of January, it's bad luck. But one year, Kitty was coming to visit me when we were doing long distance. And it was going to be after the 6th of January. And because I so wanted her to see my Christmas tree, um, because at that point, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if we were even romantic at that point, but I was pretty mm-hmm. into Kitty. Um <laughs> <laughs> I kept the tree up and so I've, I've got that bad luck but usually we'll do it the 6th of January or the 5th yeah. of January but you're still together so that was good luck yeah yeah, yeah exactly I must have worked out. <laughs> Linda would do the 6th of July just so yes know. I would, would you? What's, what, when, when do you want to do it when's the what's the well ideally tension in the household ideally I would put it up for before Halloween and then <laughs> yeah. we would decorate it for Halloween and then leave it up of course, for Christmas, and then turn it into a Valentine's Day tree. Aww. That would be ideal. A little long for me, but, uh, <laughs> you know. We'll, we'll Serving see. multiple purposes. I yeah, mean. exactly. <laughs> okay, last, last question. Is there a question that you would like to leave our listeners with? Yeah, I think I'll go back to the question I asked, which is, when was the last time you changed your mind on a question of morality or politics in a way that then motivated you to act in a costly manner. And if you can't think of one, I think you've got to ask yourself, why can't I think of one, right? Like, why yeah. mm-hmm. why yeah. haven't I ever changed my mind on something? Well, thank you so much for, for this. It's such an enjoyable conversation. Thank you and so I, much. I hope we get to have this over dinner in person at some point yeah. in the near future. And by the way, we have an amazing team and just want to say a huge thank you to all of them. We could not do this without them. Brandon Angelino. Annalie Bell. Hannah Fan, Courtney Iwanis. West Friend. Chris Cobain. Nicole Schachter. And Sabrina Ayakobuchi. Also, our theme music is by Victoria Shaw and Chad Carlson and our music composed and produced by Rick Russo. Thank you so much for listening. And if you have a few seconds, don't forget to subscribe and rate. Yes, please do. Please do. And also leave comments on our social media at at home. We love to hear from you. 
ADT now professionally installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT is awesome and believes that the smarter the home, the safer the security. I can't wait to see what they do next. They're going to put Google Nest doorbells on the moon. (laughs) Actually, I'd like to know what's happening at our front door from virtually anywhere with our Google Nest doorbell. I do love how when we're out at dinner, we can see exactly what's going on at the front door. And we can control our ADT smart devices like lights, locks, the security system with Google Nest speakers and displays. Mm-hmm. All you have to say is, hey, Google, to get started. Well, I think it's great for people to help protect what matters most with all of this. Plus, 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help make your home smarter and safer. Hey, Google.